0: Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. put that on Facebook or not, and then somebody else said, well, maybe you get more hits off of that. But that's going to be our topic for today. I want to talk about sexuality. I want to talk about your sex ethic. I want to talk about what it means to, to have a biblical sexuality. My family and I, which is really kind of, you may say, awkward, it, it can be, um, we're going through a, a series where we gather together and we watch Dr. Christopher Yuhan talk about what biblical sexuality is all about and it's designed for youth and so we we sit there and we watch it we watch some videos we we talk about it and we answer our questions and whoever talks to your family about sex uh, like first or the most gets the loudest voice right and i want the loudest voice in, in our household to be the Scripture. I want God to define what a holy and honorable and biblical sexuality is. But like, I don't really know how to introduce this, this. sermon. You know, this is a practical topic. You know, this is relevant. Your sexuality, in some way, it may have played a part in your um, conversion experience. It, uh, we're bombarded with with sexual images and sexual content. It is everywhere. Um, this is the culture in which we live, and so. As I preach a topical sermon today, I just the Lord's really impressed this on my heart, especially while we have everybody here and also a lot of our, our, our college students home also. But let's talk today about a holy and honorable, a biblical sexuality. Your sexuality, your, your sexual ethic is about two things as a Christian. It's about holiness and it is about honor. So as we open God's Word, we see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You are either male or female. And God has a design for both. God has a plan for both. right? In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, male and female. And there's designs for both. There's the anatomy of both. This is part of our sexuality, right? God has a plan for both. You see this all in Scripture, right? You don't get to choose. You are either male or female, and God has that design and plan for both. Secondly, God has this God has created us all as either single, you're all born that way, or married. You are in here today, either male or female. You are in here today, either single or married, right? Hope is single. Will she get married? Maybe if God has the plan for her. Maybe God gives her the gift of of celibacy. I don't know, right? But right now, you start off as single, and God's plan is you are either single or you are married. And there's a design for singleness. There's a biblical way to be single. And there's a design for marriage, right? One man, one woman for life, right? Um, You are either male or female. You are either single or married, and you are either in Christ or apart from Christ. Understand? We all start apart from Christ. We're all lost. You're either in Christ or not. And God has a plan for both. God has a destiny for both, right? In Christ, there will be uh, an eternity. And so I start off just by saying those things, right? Just the the ground of male and female, single or married, in Christ or apart from from Christ. I want to ask you this. Is your sexuality the core of who you are? Is that your identity? No. No. Your relationship with Christ is who you are. That's the core of who you are. That is your identity. Our identity is not, I am straight, I am gay. Uh, our identity is, I am in Christ or I'm apart from Christ. Your identity is not found in your sexual life or your sexuality. It is found in Christ, So I'm looking, this week I'm on the, you know, just the little uh, computer screen and I get that, I guess it's that MSN pop-up or some kind of Windows thing. I don't know, maybe it knows that I was looking at holy and honorable biblical sexuality. But I, this thing pops up and this girl says, I'm ambrosexual. You ever heard of that? Me either, right? I'm like, what's ambrosexual? So for a while I didn't want to click on that because I thought, I don't want to know. But as I'm, as I'm looking at this, I think I need to know what that is. What does it mean to be ambrosexual. And then I click on it and I find out this. This means that she chooses and she changes any time that she wants. That she is fluid. That she can go back from being lesbian to straight to this and that. And I thought, didn't we, didn't we call that bisexual? Like I don't, But now it has this new name. And she goes, this is what her whole thing was. I know who I am now. I know where my identity is. I'm an Ambrosexual. So when my friends get mad at me because they can't put me in a box, they don't know if I'm lesbian or if I'm straight, if I'm homosexual or if I'm heterosexual. What it is now is I know who I am. I'm ambrosexual. And they can, they can now, I can tell them this is who I am. Doesn't that sound great? I can be fluid. I can decide at any time. At any, I don't have to put me in a, like, like she just gets to. But as what she was really saying is, this is who I am. This is my identity. All right? When well, we tell her, you don't find your identity in your sexuality, You find your identity in in who you are as God created you to be, male or female, single or married, apart from Christ or or in Christ, right? Identity. We find our identity in Christ, and as I've often said, identity affects activity. And that's true with our, our young people today. Um, they try on a lot of different identities. Your identity will always affect your activity. If you identify as a band student, you're going to hang out with certain people, you're going to talk a certain way, you're going to study certain things. Same for the athletes, right? Same for someone who would say, I'm ambrosexual, right? Same for Dr. Christopher Yuan, who was an um, Asian man who grew up and was just weeks away from receiving his degree in, in dentistry. He was homosexual, uh, he got into drugs, he got into dealing drugs, and he got kicked out of, of the college that he was at. He moves to Atlanta, he begins to just practice homosexuality, everything he knew, everything he identified with was gay. He said, I shopped at the Gay Kroger, I, everything was gay in my life, and I was selling drugs. And when Atlanta knocked on my door, uh, I had lots and lots of marijuana, and he went to, he went to prison uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he stayed there about three years. Uh, in while in prison, he found a Gideon Bible in the trash. He thought, "I got a lot of time. I'll, I'll read this." He looks up one time at the bunk and he he sees this verse. I know the plans I'll have for you. This he turns there. Um, anyways, long story short, the guy gets saved. He winds up feeling that he's called to ministry. He studies if homosexuality can even be found. The chaplain gives him a book and says, "It is. It's okay. You can be a gay Christian." And he he has everything he needs to say. I can make an excuse for this. He reads the book. He doesn't even finish it. And he says, this does not line up with the Bible. He studies the Bible. He, he figures out, look, homosexuality is not an option for me uh, to be in Christ. And he winds up wanting to go to Moody uh, Bible College, right? Or Moody Se- Right Seminary. And uh, he has, like, he calls his mom. She, she fasted for this guy for days. I'd, I'd encourage uh, you to buy his, buy his books. Read his books. Get his study. It's, it's awesome. Anyways, he's now, he goes to Moody a Bible college, he gets his degrees, gets his doctorate and all that, and now he's, um, he goes around and he's, he tells people his testimony, but he also writes about biblical um, sexuality. I have no idea where I was going because I just totally rabbit-trailed on, on Dr. Christopher Ewan. Where was I going with that before I got on to him? Eh, who knows. Eh, well, sorry. Yeah I, I, yeah, I was looking right here, but I don't know how I got to that anyways. I, I was going somewhere, and then my mind, my mind escaped me. Uh, uh, oh, uh, his identity, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where I was going. I had, I, it was building to something, and it has left me. I apologize. So, uh, anyways, um, <laughs> so anyway, his life is totally changed, right? And, and it's radically changed in Jesus Christ. And so now he, he teaches. And so uh, this, is, this is his new identity. In Christ. One of the things that, that he's writing about is how Christianity uh, now gives us a holy and biblical sexuality. And that's what we're going to look at today. So putting all that aside, I guess the rambling of the introduction, I want to show you the main point today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, God gives us instructions about holy and honorable Sexuality. And there are going to be four C's that we see today. The four C's. What you're going to see as we go through these four C's is that Paul uses a whole lot of positives and negatives. He's going to show us some positive things. He's going to say it in a positive way and he's going to say it in a a negative thing. So here are the four C's that instruct us about holiness. Number one is the command. The command. Look at chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 3. Finally then, brothers, sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. This is a command. So often we wonder, what's God's will for my life? This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That means that you be set apart. That you be different. Set apart from sin to Christ. That's what holiness means. doesn't mean that you're sinless. It just means that you are set apart. You are different. You are sanctified. This is the will of God your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel, control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God and that no one transgress and wrong his brother or wrong his sister in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. That's the whole passage that we're going to look at. First three verses, though, you see the command. The first C is the command. He says, this is the command. Positively saying, he says this, that you would be sanctified. Look at verse 3. This is the will of God, to say it positively, your sanctification. Be holy, be set apart, be different. To say it negatively, he says this, that you would avoid sexual immorality. The command be holy, be honorable. Be different. Be set apart from this world. The negative that you would avoid sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea. Sound like a word that we kind of have today? So it deals with sexual sin, right? You should do that sometime. Is just take your, take your concordance, especially like your online concordance, and just put in, type in sex and then do a search and look at how often sex is in the New Testament. Right? It's, it's in the Old Testament a little bit, but in the New Testament it's really there. A lot of times talking about sexual immorality, right? And that's this word, pornea. Avoid pornea. Avoid sexual immorality. That word encompasses all sorts of sexual sins. So what are, what are the sins that he's referring to? Be different, be holy, be set apart, avoid pornea. What about these sins? Sex before marriage, Right? Premarital sex, with him and her, him and her and whoever, that's sin, that's sexual immorality, right? Sex before marriage, because God has a design, God has a plan, right? Sex is good, God's not down on sex, God is the author of good sex in marriage, right? So sex before marriage, sin. Sex apart from your spouse, sin. What do we call that? Adultery, right? Right? Sex apart from your spouse before you're even married, right, is a sin, right? Because it's, it's one man, one woman. So sex before marriage, sex apart from a, a spouse, uh, right, adultery. Sex is meant to be this, exclusive, exclusive. That means it's unshared between one man and one woman for life, it is, it is restricted. Sex is restricted to that couple, to that holy union, right? The culture nowadays, uh, their sexuality, is some would say, well, we're fluid and we just do this poly thing where right, we're kind of can to have sex whenever with, with whoever. No. No sex before marriage. No sex apart from your spouse. Pornea. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid adultery. Avoid fornication. Uh, the word would also include this, same-sex relationship. It's wrong, right? Girl and girl, guy with guy. That's that's wrong. That's pornea. It's sexual immorality. That's homosexuality. It's all in the Bible. I don't see how in the world you, you get around it. It's, it's sin. Pornea. Viewing nudity. Sin. What do we call viewing nudity? Pornography, right? Pornography's everywhere. Right? Uh, so many of our youth have already said, I've seen it. Which we were online or studying for something, right? We see sometimes even on TV, there's, there's pornography, right? That's there. It's in ads. Every, don't you hate the stupid pop-up stuff and the stupid advertisements? Like, like, they know, especially if you're a guy. Like, they know what to put right there. They may not even be... Like uh, nude, but they're in some kind of clothing that, right, that it appears that way. Everything's marketed sexual, 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 right, because they, they know that it, it our eyes go there and that it, it gets us, right? So, viewing nudity, por, pornea, right? Sexual immorality. Um, inappropriate sexual comments, that, that's pornea, right? To talk to a guy or girl with inappropriate sexual language, that's a sin. Right? That's not right, that's not appropriate. Right? Our song, a lot of the music these days, right, is filled with that. That's sexual morality too. That's, that's wrong. Inappropriate sexual comments to, to whoever is in the workplace or in the music, right? Um, inappropriate sexual thoughts, right? Uh, wrong desires. Now it's not wrong to be tempted. It's not wrong to be tempted with the look. What is wrong is when we linger at it. Right? And we, we we continue to play out that fantasy, that inappropriate sexual thought with all those wrong desires. So all of that, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Be set apart, be different. Abstain from all the sexual immorality, the, the talk, the, the looks, the, right, the, the, the inappropriate thing. So Walt Mueller, he's a, a really neat guy out of Pennsylvania. He runs the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. He does a lot of youth culture stuff. He is on it when it comes to to youth culture. He writes this. God makes it clear. With Scripture we must believe that any form of sexual immorality including but not limited to adultery, fornication, LGBT behavior, bestiality, incest, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, sexting, Sex trafficking, objectification, and the use of pornography is sinful, outside of God's plan, and offensive to God, and harmful to oneself and others. End quote. It says it all, right? This is God's will, your sanctification, that you would avoid sexual immorality. This is a command. First Corinthians 6.18, he says it this way. Flee sexual immorality. First Corinthians 6.18. Run. Don't try to fight because you won't win. Some sins you fight, there's some sins you tuck, tail, and run. Sexual morality, tuck, tail, and run. Right? Did you know that in Scripture we have the positive example and the negative example? You have the positive example of Joseph. Sleep with me, Potiphar's wife. Sleep with me, sleep with me. That's a lot of pressure every day. And he flees. Sexual morality, positive. David, the negative example. Mmm, Bathsheba. Yes, I think I will. Right? One gets it right, Joseph. One gets it wrong, David. We are to flee sexual immorality. Remember Augustine, Saint Augustine, Augustine. Even Augustine, in his thirties, he wrote in his Confessions, Augustine's Confessions, that he struggled with lust, but he struggled with sexual immorality. He even had a concubine, right? He, he thought, "How do I break free from the power of this?" Right. One of the early church fathers in his early years. So the command the first C is the command. I mean, it shows us we need a holy and honorable biblical sexuality, we are as Christians, we know God's will, we're to be different, set apart, we are to abstain from any form of sexual immorality, it doesn't just mean intercourse, right? Anything that 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 all-encompassing pornea word, it deals with. We are to avoid it. Run. Run like crazy. Next C is this, the conduct. The conduct. Look at verses 4 through 6. That each one of you Know how to control his own body. There's a trans. It's really like knows how to control his own vessel. And so is it the the Greek translate, okay, vessel does that mean body or does vessel even mean wife? Some take it to be that way that you would have your own wife, men, and that you would learn to control your own wife. And right, it, he says similar things in First Corinthians, but I, I don't know that that's how it needs to be translated here. I think it's just best your vessel, your body, the conduct. Each one of you know how to control his own body. In holiness and in honor. Not. That's the positive way, right? Do. He gives us a couple of do's. Let me give you the first two do's. Number one, do conduct yourself in holiness and sanctification. Right? Control his own body. Do in holiness and in honor. Right? The next one is do conduct yourself in honor. Do conduct yourself in holiness. Number two, do conduct yourself in honor. Right? So our sexual... Ethic, our sexuality, is about holiness. It's about honor with God. Holiness before God. Holiness and honor with others. That we're honorable with with others. One of the problems with sexual sin is this. One of the problems, even with with homosexuality, is this, it doesn't honor the other person enough. Our sexuality is to honor the other person. It's to to have holiness and honor. And any kind of sex sin, pornography, adultery, it doesn't honor the other person enough. You're you're hurting that other person. You're not honoring them. So do conduct yourself in holiness. Do conduct yourself in honor. And then he says two of the don'ts. First one, don't conduct yourself in lustful passion. Not in the passion of lust. Like the Gentiles who don't know God. And then in verse 6, here's the other one. Don't transgress or or, um, defraud your brother or sister in Christ. That no one transgress and wrong his brother or his sister in this matter, or the other person in this matter. You're not honoring them enough. Why? Because the Lord's an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and we solemnly warned you. So here's the conduct. Do conduct yourself in holiness. Do conduct yourself in honor. Don't conduct yourself in lustful passion. Don't transgress or defraud your brother or sister. He writes it to the church. We could say this. Woe to the initiator who leads another person into sin. Woe to that guy that would initiate and lead that girl into sin. Woe to that girl that would lead that guy into sin. Woe to, right, to someone else that would say, just look at this and watch this with me here. Man, let me show you something, right? Woe to the person that would lead another one into sin, into that that sexual trap, that pornea, right? Do you recall David's firstborn son, Amnon, who took advantage, he defrauded his half-sister, Tamar, and, and he raped right, it's not holiness, it's not honor, right, it just wants her and pretends to be sick, ah, come here, she said, don't do this to me, right, don't, no, no. don't, this is not the right way, this is not honorable, right, And so much of sexual sin, it's not honorable, it's not honorable when you click on that pornography, you know why, because every time you click, you're, you're keeping the industry going, aren't you, can you imagine if every person just stopped the pornography industry would wipe up, so even by your very click, you're supporting something, right, that's, that's horrible, you're supporting sex trafficking and other things, even by the, the, the little bit of, well, just a little. So we understand this is the command. This is how we're to conduct ourselves. So as I want to talk about this, I, I want to break, right? And you're good at breaking because if we were watching YouTube, we'd have another YouTube little thing over here, and we'd just click on it too, or you'd change the channel. We'll come back. We're going to come back to this. We're going to have, boom, we're going to go somewhere else. All right, so take your Bible and go to Genesis 25, to Esau's story. I want to take a break this moment and go to to Genesis 25, and I want to show you a story that's there that's really relevant and it's pretty interesting. It's Esau's story of lust. Genesis 25, verses 24 to 34. 25, 24 to 34. All right. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, The first boy came out red, his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful skillful hunter, a man of the field, hairy man's kind of man. While Jacob was a quiet man, he dwelt in the tents. Isaac, the father, loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah, the mom, loved Jacob because he hangs out in the tents and he's, he's a quiet man. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, I bet it was good, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted, he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted, therefore his name was called Edom, it, it means red. Jacob said, his name means hill grabber, deceiver, uh, he's about to do it, uh, he's He's cunning. He says, sell me your birthright then, right now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Well, as a firstborn son, you got all kinds of blessings, double inheritance, and it was just a lot there. Jacob said, well, swear to me right now. So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and little stew, and he ate, and he drank, and he rose. And he went his way, and then it says this, Thus Esau despised his birthright. It's Esau's story of lust all over a bowl of stew. It wasn't um, sex stuff, but it was kind of that same lust of the flesh. So you can make all of the the parallels. Let Let me give you three things about Esau's story of lust. Number one, he let his physical desires overcome him. But it wasn't physical desires like, like sexual desires, it was like his hunger desire. Right? And I tell our students, and I tell my family, God gave you a thirst drive so you would drink and, and live. God gave you a hunger drive so you would eat and live. God gave you a sleep drive so you would sleep and live. God gave you a sex drive, and it's holy and honorable, so you would reproduce and, and live. But it has a design, right? it has a plan. Well, Esau's drive that gets him is not his sex drive, it's his hunger drive. And he's so hungry that he lets his physical desires overcome him. I'll give you my birthright, just give me the stew right now. Right now, right now, I need it, need it, need it. And he eats and he takes it up, right? You can parallel that with so much of this. I need it, but I need this right now. Oh, this it should be so good, right? Number two, he let the present moment become more important than the future. Students, anytime true love doesn't wait, you're letting the present overrule the future, right? You don't live in the present tense. You need to live in the future tense in, in this aspect, right? To say for him, he, all he could care about was just the bowl of stew, right? But, but yes, right now I'm hungry. Right now, I, but right now I, I need to look at this and do this, and this is what feels good for me right now. Well, think about the future. He lets the present become more important than the future. And it says, and he despises his birthright. Later on, he regrets Right? And so does the one that gives in to sexual stuff, and then afterwards you the bowl of stew's all eaten up, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have did that. But you can't get your virginity back, right? Can't get, get it back what's now in your head and in your heart and the things that you've seen, right? Or the things that you've done. It's terrible. It's like, what's your bowl of stew? Number three, he let the penalty come. He had a punishment. He had to pay the price. The consequences cannot be removed, right? The consequences for pornea, man, they they are hard to remove. God can remove some of it, but some of it stays for the lifetime, right? So this is Esau's story where he didn't conduct himself in a right way. He let the physical rule. He let the present rule. He he took the penalty because uh, he didn't didn't wait, right? So there's always an interesting scripture that I, I just always thought. This is so interesting. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. All the way back to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15, 16, and 17. Hebrews 12, 15, 16, and 17. The writer says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I've always thought that interesting, because that little verse references back to that story that I just told you about. He says this, see that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Esau, we're not told was sexually immoral, was he? But there's similarities here. Really that word unholy, see that no one's godless or unholy like Esau. What, what did he do? Right? He, he exchanged the blessing for, for something outside of God's will and outside of God's plan. He, he focused on the present instead of the future. He had the physical desires that he, that he gave into. So, in many ways, his sin was just like that of sexual immorality. It, it was an unholy sin. It, it, was, it was like Esau. He, he exchanged that birthright for instant gratification. Sexually immoral. Pornea. Godless means profane, unholy, desecrated. So, I like what Eugene Peterson Says how he paraphrases this. Listen to it. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. When I first preached on this, I preached it called the Esau syndrome, right? It's what it is. The Esau Syndrome is where you trade God's gift for some short-term appetite. Students, you trade away the purity that God's given you for some short-term appetite. In our marriages, we, we trade away what's holy for some short-term thing. We have an affair, right? You, you trade away a gift in order to instantly gratify yourself. And once it's done, it's done. God can forgive, but, but there are scars right? So important. What we need to have is a holy biblical sexual ethic, right? So go back to First Thessalonians. Now we go back to the original right, YouTube video we were watching. Um, we we click back over. Go back to First Thessalonians 4. So number one, you saw the command, right? It's just cut and dry. The command, this is God's will, your sanctification, positively. Avoid sexual immorality, right? The conduct, don't do this. Don't act that way. Do have this—the holiness and honor—and right. Uh, so it's it's so important we conduct ourselves in a right way that we let this define right uh, sex and sexuality and what we listen to and how we watch and how we even approach that topic. So we go back to First Thessalonians. I got to show you the, the other two C's. The third C is number three is the calling. The calling. So you see the command the conduct, and then in verse 7 you get the calling. For God has not called us to impurity or for impurity, but in holiness. So he starts off saying it negatively and then positively. You are not called for impurity, but positively you are called for holiness. You're not called to be impure in your, right, your thoughts, your mind, your, your actions. You are called to be holy, set apart, different. This is our, this is our calling as Christians. We let God's Word define how we think. The last C, number four, is the consequence. The consequence. Esau had consequences, right? Sexual sin, immorality has consequences. Look at the consequences. It's found in verse 6 and in verse 8. In verse 6 he says that no one transgress or wrong his brother, his fellow brother, his fellow man, his fellow sister. This female in this matter, because here's the consequence: the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand. We don't know what was said before, and solemnly warned you. The consequence is, the Lord does avenge these things. But look at the the consequence found in verse eight. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. You're not rejecting me today, but God's plan for you. God's, you know, it's not about the preacher; it's about God's word, His His command. For whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. The consequence is this. When you reject this truth, you reject God, right? We reject God's design and God's plan. Whether it's something we're clicking on or sex outside of marriage with our spouse, whether it's affair or pornography. or Man, it could go on and on. Wrong wrong comments. So, I didn't know how to approach this. Like, I really didn't know how to introduce this. And I, I knew that these were the two passages. I didn't know whether I start with Esau's story in Genesis 25 and that bowl of stew and talk about what's your bowl of stew. Like, what are you, right? Or, or we go to Hebrews and look at Hebrews, and see that no one's sexual, moral, godless like Esau. Or that we go with 1 Thessalonians 4. But these are the three passages that God's laid on my heart that I, I really hope that, that you see today that we begin to say this and this alone will will define uh, right um, sexual ethics and, and how we think and live in this day and age but what if you struggle right because it is every person's struggle it is every man's struggle right it is every woman's struggle so like as, as we sit there and we all would struggle at some point in this day and age that we live of of saying, yeah, how do I how do I think differently and live differently? Let me give you something that was given to me when I was in Bible college that I found to be extremely helpful, and it is this: overcoming lust, overcoming sexual sin. So we go. Can we go ahead and put that on the screen? There we go. Maybe maybe you can see that. Yeah, a little bit. So some of the, I'm not gonna read all the scripture. Some of the scripture right there. Um, that, that applies to lust, like if you had a problem with lust. This same pattern would work for any sex sin. Um, adultery, um, homosexuality, like same-sex attraction, right? Uh, I mean, any, it, this would work for, for any... It's kind of the, it, this works for a lot of sins. How do you overcome that sin? You ready? Number one, admit the problem, right? The Proverbs, right? Whoever conceals the sin is not going to prosper, right? But the one that confesses he's going to find mercy, right? So first we have to admit the problem. I have a problem with lust. I have a problem with pornography. I have a problem with, you know, uh, being tempted to an affair or or I have a, uh, I have this temptation to, to have sex and not wait until uh, marriage, whatever. Uh, number one, admit the problem. Number two, recognize that you name the sexual morality sin, recognize that it is wrong. And there are some verses that apply to, to lust, right? Like Jesus' words in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? So number one, you have to admit you have a problem, right, before you do anything. And then you have to recognize that that, that is sin. You have to call it sin. That is sin. It's not okay, right? That, that same-sex attraction, that, that this in, in my sexual identity, that is wrong, to watch that, to view that, whatever. Admit the problem. Number one, number two, recognize that it is wrong, and then number three, you have to make a decision to change. Like, do you will you really repent? Will we will we really turn? I, I want to change. I want to do better in the new year. And then number four, confess the sin to God, confess it. And so you have David, Psalm, Psalm 51, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he prayed Psalm 51, right? God, have mercy on me. Oh God, created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me, right? There are many times as a young man that I would pray that prayer. God, oh, that was wrong. Lord, I confess this sin to you, right? And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sin. He'll, he'll cleanse us. Admit the problem. Recognize that the pornea, the sexual morality is wrong. Make a decision to change as you move forward. Start then by number four, confessing that as sin to God. Number five, then make a covenant with your eyes. And really a covenant with your mind. There's this great verse in Job 31.1 where Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. It's a great verse to memorize. Young men, men still today, right? Men in their mid-forty, right? It's good for me. It's good for you, right? I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman, not to go back for the second glance, not to let that channel linger too wrong, to, to make a promise with my eyes, Job said, right? Whatever. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to give in to this sexual temptation, right? You have to, you have to make that decision. Number six, come up with a plan. Set specific ways to, to achieve your goal. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10:31, or 10:13, right? No temptation has seized you except that which is common to men, but God is faithful and not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're um, tempted, he'll, he'll provide the way of escape, right? So, so we come up with that, that plan, all right? When I'm tempted, this is what I need to do, this is my plan, this is how. Okay, that relationship at work uh, that seems to be going a little bit too flirty. All right, so this is going to be my plan of how to how to handle this. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Right, but you whatever it is in your life, you've gotta you've got to come up with a, a plan. Number seven: seek accountability. All right, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Right, maybe we need a, a men's group. Uh, maybe we need right, to, to confess our sins to others in a safe place and say, I need help, um, help me, right, teenagers that you can help each other and, and talk that through with your friends, they need to be close friends, they need to be friends that you can trust, they need to be friends that will give you good advice, not what you want to hear, right, that prison guard Christopher Yuhan, that prison chaplain was steering him in a wrong direction, right, that was not the right, and he had to say, this is not right, <laughs> no way, um, you have to have the right accountability partner, but, but, finding someone that where you can talk about it and share and that's why even in our living room I want that to be as safe as place as possible where they can ask us questions. Right? Because as teenagers, I mean I, I didn't I don't remember talking a ton to my mom and dad. You know, you kinda of think that you got it. I know what everything there is to know. Right? And you you know, so uh you know, sometimes you just learn from your friends, but can you imagine if I just let the friends raise my kids in this area? Like I'm doomed. Right? Like we've gotta be speaking, right? So maybe we do this on Sunday nights or something when uh when I finish with my family and make sure it's all legit because I'm watching it with them in the same but I'm asking them right like kids do you have questions or or do you have whatever everybody acts like they know everything like yeah yeah. so that I asked them so I asked one of them this this past time I said well okay if you know everything well what what did he mean when he said that word monogamous what does monogamous mean and they all just kind of I said ooh, your mother and I are in a monogamous marriage monogamous what does that mean right because they don't okay well that shows you that you don't know everything so don't be afraid to ask questions monogamous means right one man one woman four life not polygamous I don't have many sexual relationships. I have a monogamous one relationship. It's good. It's right. It's, it's, it's a right thing, right? So we have to have you know, this talk, right, where we're, where we're preaching into them right things. Like you, you need to go through a true love weights commitment, a true love weights ceremony, right? You need to make a commitment. I will stand for purity in what I watch and how I think and, and how I live. I believe that marriage is a gift from God and I'm going to save myself to, to marriage. It makes a difference. Number eight, feed on the word, feed on the word, right? You have to put that in more. If you're putting in junk of the culture and you're letting you know Taylor Swift tell you about you know sexuality is gonna go wrong, right? I'm just saying, right? If you're letting the culture tell you, and you're putting that in, right, what's on, that's, it's going to steer you astray. You have to feed on the word more, right? Putting that in more and more and more and more and saying, okay, because, right, you get on the college campus, I mean, I'm sure you guys in college, you see, like, man, they're they're not saying this, they're saying, you get to choose. You can be ambrosexual. Hey, you be fluent. You just whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. There is no one standard. Oh, well, what you need to do is have expressed individualism. That's the cry of the express yourself and however you choose. Right, you be you. You do you. Stay true to yourself. Ugh, those are all the lies of the catch the culture and the enemy. That's terrible. That's terrible. Right? You're gonna they're gonna be bombarded with all of this. That's why we're sitting down in our house and saying, all right, what's the holy and biblical view? on all of this? What does, what does God say? I think sometimes we're afraid to share because maybe we didn't do it ideally as adults, right? That's okay. You don't have to tell them everything, right? You don't have to, but it doesn't mean don't speak, right? I mean, we don't have to voice everything in our past, but, but we, we, we do still need to share and to speak about this topic, right? Like how many sermons have you heard on sexuality? You heard one today. (laughs) I may rabbit trail at time, but. I pray you're getting the getting good stuff. We have to speak the word. Feed on the word, right? Your word's a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light unto my path. So this is God's will. He says, finally, brothers, I urge you, sisters, more and more in the Lord that what you received, right? The the teaching of Christ, of how you ought to live, how you ought to walk, to please God, and do that more and more. Do that more and more. Follow the instructions of the life of Jesus and what it means to follow Him. So as we we close today, I just want to give you a a twofold invitation. Number one, the invitation is to to follow Christ. To seek to follow Christ. It's a call to follow Christ. To say, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to follow you as Lord and Savior. I want your way more than I want uh, my way. And so... I invite you to, to do that. Uh, secondly is this, it's a, it's a call to purity. A call for us to, to seek purity. And I, and I think for all of us, like the first call is to come follow Jesus if you're not a Christian today. But for a lot of us, we, we are uh, you know, Christians in here. And the second call means that we just have to continue to seek purity as men, right? as women, uh, as husbands, as wives. we, we got to seek purity as teenagers as college students in our relationships and, and how you can seek purity and if you' and if you're struggling to, to find a way to to come out of this in a in a right way you're going to go back to number two and to number one often right and to number four often but to to, to head forward and to move forward right and to forget what's behind and to press on to what words lies ahead right and it's it's godliness and sanctification and so Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.